0: So I invite you to either turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 100, or you'll see it in the insert in the bulletin that you can use as well. Now the psalm can be broken into two parts. And each part comes with an instruction to, to give praise or thanks, and then it's followed by a reason for giving thanks. So let's, uh, let's begin that with the first part in verses 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. So right here, we have this this call to to give thanks. So we're given specifically three commandments on how to do this. First, we're to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And that phrase, that whole phrase, make a joyful noise, is one word in, in Hebrew. And it simply means... Make a loud noise. Okay. so in other passages, for example, in the Old Testament, it can um, it can mean make a loud noise of alarm, or it could be make a uh, loud noise of um, uh, for battle. So when the the people are marching around Jericho, and they after that seventh time or how many times they give an exclamation, it's that word. Keep making that loud noise. It calls the walls to fall down. Or when, uh, when David, he cuts off the head of Goliath, and after he does that, the rest of the Israelite army, they were told that they rose with a shout and then pursued the Philistines. So it's, it's the context by which the translators here, they're looking at the context, and they're noting that in this case, well, it's a loud noise of joy. So to give another example, when Saul was chosen to be king, we're told that all the people shouted. They made that loud noise, long live the king. And so it was that kind of joyful enthusiasm that the psalmist is calling us to. We're to shout in acclamation to the Lord, Yahweh, who is the king over all the earth. So the second thing we're told here is to serve the Lord with gladness. So our service to the Lord is to be marked with gladness, with with joy. All service to the Lord is to be done out of a spirit that actually takes delight in that service because of whom is being served. There is no such thing as a Christian doing service to the Lord as a painful act of sacrifice, a burden that they must carry. They may think they're doing that, but as far as God is concerned, no service is being rendered to him unless it is done in the spirit of joy. And then thirdly, we're to come into his presence with singing. Come into his presence, that's what we're doing now. It's coming to worship. And worship also should be marked by joy. Now, the term here for for singing is about, it's more about rejoicing. Half the time in the Old Testament, it's translated to sing. The other half, it's translated to make noise. But Whatever instance it is, whether singing or making noise, it has to do with rejoicing. Now, what is it that we're so to be happy about? Well, it has to do primarily with our relationship with God. Look with me in verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now, you know by now, if you've been following along, whenever you see that Lord in capital letters, that's the Hebrew term for Yahweh, or what we used to know from the King James Version, Jehovah. He is the covenant God of Israel. Well, we're being told here that the covenant God of Israel is the only God. He is the creator of everyone. And so, for example, we're told in Isaiah chapter 45, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, Yahweh, and there is no other. And there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Now the psalmist's point here is not so much... That the Lord is the only God, that is true, but his primary point is that we all we belong to him. It is he who made us, and we are his. Now if you got your King James Version, it's going to read, and not we ourselves, that is, we did not make ourselves. Now, the difference of interpretation, it, it, it lies on a Hebrew term, and really the only distinction is, has to do with some vowel points. And again, though, you look at the context. Most modern translations are going to have what we have here, that, that we are his. It makes more sense with the psalm. I mean, there's no atheist to debate with back in that time. And we have to remember what is this feature of parallelism. Remember that in the Psalms and poetry? You'll have two lines that express pretty much the same thought. So what's the next line? We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So again, the point is, we belong to God. We're not orphans. We belong to our creator, and our creator tends us as a shepherd tends the sheep of his pasture. We're to think back to Psalm 23 and understand that we have the Lord God as our shepherd to watch over us. And that indeed is a great reason to be joyful, isn't it? So we've noted here, now that the the psalm is entitled, what? It is a psalm for giving thanks. Thanks. Well, now we're going to come to the verse that actually tells us to do just that. Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Now, his gates, his gates and courts, the psalmist is thinking of the temple courts. okay? And the worshipers are bid to come in the spirit of thanksgiving and of praise as they come to worship there at the temple. To give thanks, to give praise. And that's what it means there when it says to bless the name of the Lord. That means to give praise. And so we're to do so, we're to come joyfully with hearts of thanksgiving to the Lord. Okay, well, thanksgiving for what? The next verse explains for the lord he is good his steadfast love endures forever his faithfulness through all generations so we're to be thankful well for in this case for the character of the lord now it would not be a cause for celebration if our creator was evil or maybe indifferent or perhaps capricious. Well, those were the traits for those ancient gods. Their moods could change. They were demanding, even to the degree of demanding human sacrifice. They could not be trusted. And the reason being simply is that they were no more than, well, projections of us, of human beings. But the Lord Yahweh well he's above man so that his traits are perfect they're without taint there's no corruption like is found in us human beings and so to be good for the lord means wants well, to be perfectly good all that he thinks all that he does is good and that good is wholesome it is righteous it is pleasing It is a good that intends and carries out our good. Then there is his love, his steadfast love, that Hesed. Well, what are we to know about it? Well, it's what it says it is. It is steadfast. It endures forever. Why? Because it's founded on the Lord's character. And it's founded on that relationship that he, the Lord, has bound himself to us. It does not rest upon us, how we're doing at any time. It rests upon his character and upon his promise. And then there is that faithfulness, which again rests in being who, in who God is. God cannot, he cannot lie. He cannot break his own promise. He will carry out his will all of that all of the time. That is what we get from God being who he is. And is that not a God well, to give thanks for? To have such a God who claims us for his own, who will not who will never give up on us? Whose goodness and steadfast love well, well, like we were told in Psalm 23, will follow, or even more accurately, will pursue us all the days of our lives. A God who is faithful. You think about this, the God who was faithful to this psalmist, who wrote this what, thousands of years ago, remains the same faithful God to us after all of those generations who have passed in between us. Now, truly, when we think about this, how else should we come to worship such a God than to do so with thanksgiving and with praise? So here's our question. Are our lives marked by thanksgiving? We need to do some heart examination so let me ask, did you wake up this morning with a spirit of thanksgiving to God? Did you thank him for yet another day that he has given you? Now let, me, let me tell you, I, I was going through my, my notes this morning and I was shaking my head. No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. So as I'm hopefully convicting you, just know that I've already been convicting myself here. Did you thank him for being the good God that he is? Now, I tell you, I, I hope for my life I've been convicted about this matter, and it's something, as I've just confessed, I have to continually be convicted about. But let me tell you some of the moments in which I, I have received a conviction and some teaching. And the first one I'll share with you came from a, a year Ginger and I, we lived in a charismatic, mostly Catholic community in Augusta. Some of you may know of it, the Hallelujah community. Now, thanksgiving and praise, that was the biggest lesson that we learned from those residents. Uh, Their their group praying was unlike anything up to that time that I had experienced as a Protestant. In my experience... You know, we kind of really, in a Protestant, we just gave scant attention to thanksgiving and, and to praise. We'd, you know, we'd open up with, with thanks to God. And then, let's go on to the real reason why we're praying, and that was supplication, make petitions, asking for something. Well, my Catholic charismatic friends, they would get so caught up with thanksgiving and praise. I mean, it just, it would just go on. And on and on. And maybe at the end, uh, they might ask for something. So that was a lesson to me right then. Okay. The second lesson is from Scripture. I was getting convicted by Philippians 4, verse 6. You know, do not be anxious, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests made known to, to God. And, and that has taught me to always, always start any prayer with thanksgiving. Now I hope you have noticed this. When I have gone and I have I visit you, whether it's at a hospital or home, whatever, and you're 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 asking for prayer and whatever it might be, I hope you've noticed. I always start off with thankfulness, whatever crisis you have been telling me about. I mean, the only time I would never do that is if you're in real, real crisis and I, I immediately got to enter into that, but I, I'll start with Thanksgiving. And then we'll go on. The third lesson that I learned, and I, I don't know where I, I learned this lesson. I can't remember when these things hit me, but I became convicted about my prayer at the mealtime. A typical prayer for me would go something like this. Well, Lord, thank you for this food. We're about to eat. Bless this food. And then, you know, make us more mindful. Uh, may we be uh, more thankful. Make us, you know, whatever it is that we need to be. And there's, there's nothing, I want to make clear, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that prayer. But I began to ask myself, why don't I just give thanks? I mean, God has provided. Here's the food he's provided. Why well, don't I just thank him? Why do I have to keep adding? Why, why do I have to say, well, make me thankful, or just thank him? That's why you know if you ask me to pray, it's going to be a short prayer, because I'm not going to go into lots of other stuff as well. Now, fourth uh, conviction. This was from a psalm that I had read. This is from Psalm 92. And I was reading this, it's verses 1 and 2. And this has influenced also my breakfast and my supper prayers. Let me read the verses. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. And so at breakfast, I always thank the Lord For his steadfast love at supper, I always thank him for his faithfulness. Now, it could have been better if I would, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I think, but at least by breakfast time, I'm thinking of his steadfast love. Now, another conviction that I I gained more about prayer and thanksgiving was in my own study of the, the doctrine of common grace. And the more I, I study this doctrine, the more I became convicted about thankfulness. Because what it taught me is, is to look around me. You know, look out there and, and see the birds out there. Or let's hear them singing or the people that the Lord brings my way. And, and any of the experiences that I have just in, a, in common life, I mean, to drive across that lake every day, and to realize God has given me that experience to take pleasure in, to be thankful for him, to give him praise for I mean, just pay attention throughout the day, and again and again, you'll find yourself giving thanks to the Lord. It, it does me good to give thanks to him For blessings. And indeed, again, that's something else that I've learned. It is the blessing of being thankful for blessings. You know that gospel song. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. See what God has done. I mean, it works. I'll testify to that. I remember a number of years ago, Ginger and I were driving along on an interstate and I don't know what it is. Something that had gotten us in a grumping mood. And we decided begrudgingly, all right, we're going to count our blessings. We're going to take turn. I'll say one, and she'll say another. we got to go... All, I think we had to go up to 10, I, I think. Well, by the time we get up to... And, you know, it's like, well, thank you for that blue sky. Okay. Thank you for, I don't know, whatever it is. And then you... You start to think of another one. You start to think of another one. I tell you, you can't get to number five, and our attitude just turns around. I mean, it's, it's difficult to remain emotionally depressed, to remain anxious or angry as you literally begin to count the specific blessings from the Lord, no matter how minor those blessings might seem to be. Now, one admonition I would give in this matter of thanksgiving, that is this, to avoid mixing thankfulness with complaining. Let will give you an example. I like to, I'll go on YouTube and listen to my favorite singers and, and so on. You know, they'll have comments down there. And usually the comments are like, oh, this is great, oh, I love this. Every now and then you get a comment of, oh boy, this, she's, she's so good. she is not like... And then starts naming or those other rotten artists or whatever, particularly the, the young ones and so on. It's all refreshing to have this. And then, and then people will respond to that and saying, yeah, you're right, you know. And those so-and-so can't compare. And you're like, why are you doing this? You're not honoring that person. Just, just give thanks. And this is particularly true when we're giving thanks to the Lord whatever it might be. Just thank him. We don't have to say, yeah, this is so much better than that other whatever it is. Why distract yourself from giving thanks to the God to, to going to something that you now end up complaining about? And so can you do that today? When you leave this sanctuary, can, can you make it to the car can you make it home with only your thoughts and your words being that of thanksgiving to God? Can you do it? It's hard to do. Now, I mention here that Psalm labels itself as a Psalm for giving thanks, and that's what we've been looking at. But something else that the Psalm displays is the widespread benevolence of the Lord. Now, remember, the Lord is the the term, the Hebrew term, for the covenant God of Israel. And and when you look at this psalm in different phrases, it all leads you to be thinking about that. It's, It's covenant language. The covenant people of the Lord are known as the sheep of the Lord, such as in Psalm 23. This entering the gates and the courts of the Lord. The psalmist is thinking there of the the temple, the courtyard there in Jerusalem. Indeed, if not for the last word in the opening line, one would naturally conclude that this is a psalm for God's people, the Jewish nation, uh, just for them. But what is that last word in the opening line? It is earth. All the earth is called to make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth is called to serve the Lord with gladness, to come into his presence with singing. The peoples of all the earth, all of them belong to the Lord and are sheep of his pasture. So we need to understand this, that though Israel was chosen by God as his special nation, She was never intended for that one nation to know alone and to enjoy the blessings of the Lord. When the Israelites passed through the Red Sea, and they journeyed to Mount Sinai, and they're going to get the Ten Commandments and and the law, God told the people this. He said, look, all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, I want us to think about this. What do priests do? Well, they mediate between God and people. Israel was intended to be that nation that would mediate God to their neighbors, to the rest of the nations. They were intended to witness for God and to intercede for their neighbors so that their neighbors would come to know God, to serve him, to to rejoice in him. Or let's go back to their father, Abraham. God calls Abraham to leave his country, and he gives him this promise. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, the story of redemption of God blessing with salvation, it was never intended to be restricted to one nation, to one people group. One nation was to bring the message of God's redemption to all the nations. And that one nation faltered in his calling. And one can understand how when you consider the host- hostility of the other nations. But a moment in history came when one man who embodied Israel entered the scene. He, too, actually came out of Egypt. He, too, was met with hostility. But he did not falter. And he fulfilled his calling to be uh, the priest, to be the high priest. He completed his mission of bringing the redemption of the Lord by offering his own body as a sacrifice for the sins of all the nations. He came to his sheep, Israel, but he also made it clear that he had sheep outside of this one flock whom he needed to go and bring into his fold. His pasture extends far beyond the boundaries of one nation, of one flock. far beyond the ethnic makeup of one people. And then you remember, what did he tell his disciples? To make disciples of all nations. Now, at first, his disciples, they they couldn't grasp this vision. You know, they're thinking, well, Jesus meant for us to go to the Jews who have been dispersed among the nations. Well, when that idea was popped, They thought, well, okay, he means to include those who have made themselves like Jews first. You know, know, the great controversy of the early church, the first controversy was to whom the gospel could be given. And then what needed to be done first by them. And they had to learn that the gospel was for everyone. And that the only condition was to turn in faith to Jesus Christ. You see, the joy of the gospel is that it is for everyone. And it is throughout the earth. The gospel is good news because there there are no barriers to overcome. And this wondrous truth, it has continued to be manifested from the early days of the church on. It has gone from continent to, To continent, from nation to nation, from ethnic group to ethnic group. It has penetrated the strongholds of other religions. It has weathered the fiercest persecution. And why? How has it been able to do that? Because all who come to understand the gospel, who uh, receive this by faith alone, They're caught up in the joy of it. It's wonderful. It's wonderful news. I mean, no one turns to Jesus in sorrow. No one turns from salvation by works to uh, salvation by faith. They don't do that in fear. No one leaves in grief a worldview that points to a meaningless life and then to embrace the good news that they're loved with a steadfast love by, in Christ. No, that's, that's joy. No one sorrowfully gives up the, the idols that they have pursued, that have proven to be vain, to follow the God who has given His most precious Son to make them His precious children. The Gospel is about joy. Joy is at the heart of the Gospel the joy of redemption, the joy of belonging, the joy of sharing a common faith and a family that is made up of people from every tongue and and nation, from every background, from every history. That is why the call is made and the call is answered to make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. That's why we take part in the great missionary enterprise. Joy is to be shared. Joy is to be spread. Joy is what honors the Lord. What does the Lord want? He wants the people to do what? To glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. Now let me ask, is that what your neighbors see in you? Is the gossip that they spread about you, is it that you display a joyful, a thankful spirit in the God that you profess to believe and follow? The Lord is good. Steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness to all generations. And his goodness, his steadfast love, his faithfulness, we can attest, they have come down through the generations even here to us. So let us be sure to pass it on as we give thanks with a grateful heart. We do give you praise, our God. We give you praise with with joy, with with thanksgiving for this wondrous gospel, this salvation that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, May we ever be a thankful people And may we be those who desire, who cannot hold it within us, but have to share this joy, have to share this good news with others. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.